0: Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for joining us today. And if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in as well. So I want to just go back to our Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve services. Um... I'm kind of excited about them. we We haven't done anything quite like this. It's just how Christmas and New Year's Day fall. They fall on Sundays this year, and so we want to give you those days off. and so we we really studied and tried to figure out what's the best time to do those. So I think we're doing uh, three and four thirty, you know for Christmas Eve so that you can come and have participate and then go do your family thing uh, and invite us over for you know eggnog and stuff like that. And then, uh on new year's eve our, our crazy staff they wanted to do this late night thing um rosanne were talking i don't know if the the two of us have seen new year's turn over in a few years right i mean i think we might have taken a nap and woke up and said oh yeah it's 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 after midnight so let's go um but uh they have some pretty exciting things planned for the 11 p m one so if you haven't seen midnight in a long time on New Year's Eve, I would encourage you, come to the 11 p.m. Uh, service. The 4.30 will be nice to you. You can come to that one. It'll be good. Uh, but the 11 p.m. is going to be a little bit of a riot. So I would encourage you guys, try to take a nap, you know, drink a power drink, whatever it takes, you know, try to make it to midnight this year as uh, we, we move into the new year. I'm excited about that. All right, so it's Christmas, so I want to I see by a show of hands how many of you are Hallmark Christmas movie fans. Let's just see. Yeah, there's like less this service. Oh, that's interesting, or people aren't willing to admit it. Uh, Last service, a lot more, we're excited about it. But I will tell you, I enjoy them. I enjoy them. I just can't watch them. Uh, that's the problem. I get too emotionally invested, right? You know so you're you're watching this and they had you laughing one second and the next second you're just like tearing up and and my kids and my wife make fun of me when that happens so I just can't can't do it. But I did watch one earlier this year and I was reminded that they're all exactly the same, right? Someone, you know, they, they leave their small town, and they go off to the big city, and they are either a businessman or a businesswoman, or they become a, a movie star or, or maybe a musician. They, you know, they're succeeding, but there's just something missing, right? You, they, you can kind of see they have the success they've always wanted, but there's something missing, and so they come home for Christmas, and all of a sudden, they, they're like, this is This is what I've always wanted—is this small town thing, and then the local guy or girl says hi to them, you know, and it's all she wrote. Yeah, I mean, it's a love story. They fall in love, move back home, get married, and uh, they live happily ever after, right? I mean, that's every Hallmark movie. It's the same. They're all the Christmas ones are all the same. Um, So they're a little predictable, a little corny, but I, I would say that they do have a truth inside of each one of them. They do emphasize the truth. Where we are born matters. Where we are born matters. It shapes us. It molds us. Um, We are a product of our hometown. So I went up to Michigan yesterday um, for my parents' uh, Christmas. So my brother was there, my nieces and nephews, and we went up there. And, And it brought back some of those Warm and fuzzies, you know, of like, oh, this is my, my hometown. And I will tell you, I am a product of, of my hometown. I like the Michigan Wolverines. I can't explain it because I don't live there. I've lived in Indiana more than I've lived in Michigan. And yet, I, I, I love the Michigan Wolverines. And even, and, and even I like some of the Detroit teams, like the Detroit Lions. I mean, that doesn't make any sense unless you were like a product of where you grew up, right? (laughs) Because nobody, how many Detroit Lions fans do we have here? Yeah, see, none. Oh, well, maybe one over here, kind of, yeah. So, So I like the Lions. I like the other Detroit teams, the Red Wings, the Pistons, the Tigers. And it's just because of where I was born. So where I was born matters. Now, my wife and my kids, they were all born in Indiana. They're all Hoosiers. And so they're all just a little confused, okay? Some of them actually like like the Michigan teams, but others like this other team locally that has like a green guy for their mascot. I don't know what Notre Dame, I think maybe, and i I don't understand that, but but it's because of the town, the state that they were born, right because it matters. Now, my my two daughters have moved out of state. One lives in Tennessee, one lives in California. And, you know, as much as they try to not be those Midwesterners, you know, have a little bit of class and, you know, culture in their lives, they still get excited during deer season. When I'm out hunting deer so that they can have that venison summer sausage, you know, the saying is true, you can take a girl out in the Midwest, but can't take the Midwest out of the girl. So hopefully they're watching this and they they know that they can't take the Midwest out of you. So anyway, where we are born matters. Now, throughout the Bible, though, it doesn't seem to matter quite as much. I mean, the, the children of Israel, they were born in the land of Ur. They were born in Egypt. They were born in Israel. They were born all throughout the Middle East. But when it came to the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Deliverer, where he was born really, really, really really mattered. And it's all because of this one verse in a little-known book of the Bible, the book of Micah, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, that says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So the Messiah was prophesied to be born in the city of Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem really was just a small town kind of known for its shepherding around it, but it was the birthplace of King David. At about 1,000 BC, King David lived, and it was his birthplace. It was also known as the burial place for Jacob's wife, Rachel. The word Bethlehem actually means the house of bread, the house of bread, which I find interesting because Jesus would be born there, and he called himself the bread of life. It's kind of Interesting. So this prophecy was, seven, was made seven, in uh, 700 B.C. So 700 years before Christ was actually born, this prophecy was made. And all of the Jewish people knew about this prophecy, and they were looking for the Messiah, looking for the chosen one, and they were watching who was born in Bethlehem for hundreds of years. I wonder if they had just given up You know, and stopped waiting for the Messiah to be born. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus' parents, they weren't from Bethlehem. They were from a city, you know, about a seven-day journey away, 90 miles north of Bethlehem. They were from Nazareth. And so, how would Jesus, the Messiah, be born down in Bethlehem when his family was from Nazareth. Well, that's something we're going to look at today. Some miraculous events happened for that prophecy to be fulfilled. We are in our Christmas message message series titled Foretold, Prophecies Fulfilled by the Birth of Christ. And each week, we're looking at some of our Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah and how Christ's birth actually fulfilled them. And so today, we're going to be looking at the town of Bethlehem. For our main text of scripture today, I'm going to read the story of Jesus' birth. You can look in Luke chapter 2, and some of you might have this memorized because you're Charlie Charlie Brown fans, and you remember when Linus said this. I almost played the video today, but I'm going to read it. Chapter 2, starting with verse 1. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So today's message is titled, Little Town of Bethlehem. And I'm going to give us four thoughts around Jesus' birth in the little town of Bethlehem. But first, let me pray. So Lord, I thank you for your word that, that predicted Christ's birth hundreds of years before it happened in the very town that he would be born. And Lord, then you made it happen in a miraculous way. So today, Lord, I pray that we would really just continue to get a grasp of how great you are. You transcend all of time. So we praise you and we thank you today. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to say your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a couple of thoughts around Jesus' birth. First of all, the birth of Christ ended 400 years of silence. Ended 400 years of silence. I spoke about this last week when I was talking about the book of Malachi, how it was the last book written in the Old Testament, and it was prophetic, but it was written 400 years before the birth of Christ. And over the next four centuries, that is known as the 400 years of silence. During that time, we don't have any record of God interacting with mankind. But God breaks his silence to announce the birth of his son. And it starts by, he starts by sending the angel Gabriel to an old priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. They were both old, and they were childless. Does this sound like someone maybe in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah? But they would soon become the parents of John the Baptist, If you remember from last week, John the Baptist was prophesied to come in the book of Malachi in the spirit of Elijah, and he was coming to announce and prepare the way for the Messiah. So let me read this from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, He was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So when Gabriel appears to Zechariah that's the first time that God has spoken in 400 years. And it's prophetic. The angel comes and says you're going to have a baby in your old age and you to name him John and he will come in the spirit of Elijah and he will prepare the way for the Messiah. And he, all of those things take place. Elizabeth gets pregnant. She has a baby nine months later, and his name is John. And we all know, if we read, read the story of the, in the New Testament, John the Baptist, that's what he did. He came in the spirit of Elijah, and he prophesied again and again and again, the Messiah is coming. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. So Gabriel appears to Zechariah 400 years after God spoke to to Malachi. So it was, it was 400 years of silence, and it was broken. The, the other thought I had around the birth of Christ is that it fulfilled the prophecy of the Virgin. So in the Old Testament, there's a book called Isaiah, written by the prophet Isaiah, about 700 B.C. And in chapter 7, he foretold this miraculous thing was going to happen, and that was to predicate The coming Messiah. He says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, or God with us. So this prophecy was kind of outrageous, right? No one had ever heard of a virgin giving birth, conceiving and giving birth. And yet that is what happens. Mary gets pregnant and gives birth to a son, Jesus. This is the second time that God actually um, breaks his his silence. His silence, he first speaks to Zechariah, and then he speaks to Mary, and he tells Mary what's going to happen. This is in Luke chapter 1. Let me read this. Starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth now is six months along with John the Baptist, God sent the, the angel Gabriel, the same angel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, this is quite a bit north of Jerusalem. So he sends, first of all, Gabriel to Jerusalem to talk to Zechariah, but then he sends Gabriel up north to this small town to speak to Mary, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Mary does then become pregnant and she leaves Nazareth, goes down to the area of Judea and actually moves in and lives with Elizabeth for the next three months during the last three months of her pregnancy. Now, Scripture doesn't say that Mary stayed all the way through the birth, but you could probably imply that, that she was there to help Elizabeth you know, be born. But what was really interesting is that as soon as... Um, Mary enters the house with Elizabeth. Elizabeth prophesies that Mary will have a child, the Messiah. So that was through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, so we've had an angel speak twice to both Zechariah and to Mary. And now we have the Holy Spirit speaking to Elizabeth and speaking through Elizabeth. And that's the third time that God has spoken to man since the 400 years of silence. So Mary stays with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she goes back home. She's three months pregnant. She's beginning to show. Joseph, her fiance, finds out. And so Joseph has in mind to just kind of end the marriage silently, you know, not to put her to disgrace. But let's hear what happens in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So in his mind, he's thinking, I can't believe she was unfaithful to me. But I don't want her to die because if you're pregnant outside of marriage in that day and age, um, they killed you. I mean, they they could actually have you killed because of that. And so his intent was just to, to dissolve the marriage quietly. That was his plan. But after he had considered this, in verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So now God is speaking through a dream, a prophetic dream. He has an angel show up. And and again, these are all the ways that God begins to speak to his people. and It's all surrounding this exciting event of his son being born. So Joseph has this dream. Gabriel speaks to him. Most likely it was Gabriel, I didn't say it through this scripture, but most likely it was Gabriel, spoke to him, and he believes and he takes Mary home as his wife. Now what that means is that he gave up his reputation because now it became obvious over time that Mary was pregnant and Joseph must have been the father. And so there was a lot of humility that Joseph had to put on in order to do that. This, by the way, is a miracle. Keep that in mind. This is a miracle because how could in their day and age in this culture, a virgin actually go nine months and give birth without being killed, right? I mean, it was a miracle that Joseph was the kind of man that would listen to God and take her in, humble himself and deal with a bad name and a bad reputation for probably the rest of his life because of this. That was a miracle that Joseph was that kind of a man, a man of integrity. So the Virgin Mary was pregnant and she was going to have a son named Jesus. That was an incredible miracle. But here's the the other thought. Number three, the birth of Christ took place 90 miles from home. So Bethlehem was the prophesied location of the Messiah's birth. But Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Here's a map of that. It's it's 90 miles away from Nazareth. And the way to get there is you come down avoid Samaria, go across the Jordan twice through Jericho, Jerusalem and down to Bethlehem. Mary's nine months pregnant. She's in her last trimester. There's no way that Joseph is going to put her on a donkey you know, and travel. And it took about seven days' journey, most likely, for a pregnant woman because of maybe some bathroom stops. I don't know. I mean, I've never been pregnant, but I'm assuming at nine, nine months. Um, and there's just no way that's going to happen. They're not going to do that, right? But... Then another another miracle happens. The Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, decides to count all the people in his whole Roman kingdom. He wants a census. And the way they do that in Israel is that everyone had to go to the town of their descendant. Well, they were both descended from David. So they had to go to David's birth town, which was Bethlehem. So they had no choice, it was the law. And they needed to travel those seven days all the way down to Bethlehem. And it's right when Mary is due. Now, I wonder if Mary and Joseph were thinking about that the whole time, like through month six, seven, eight, nine. You know, they live in Nazareth and they know, most likely, they know the prophecy that the Messiah was to be born down in Bethlehem, but they're like, we're not going to, we can't go down there. It's, it's not good for our health. It's not, we don't have all that stuff. And then there's that Roman decree and it's, they have no choice. But I'm, I'm guessing that Mary and Joseph the whole way are like, we're going to do this because we're carrying the Messiah. And it was foretold. And they knew, they just knew that they were going to make it down they were going to make it down safe, and they knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Maybe they didn't think it was going to be in a barn, but they knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. That was a miracle. That was a miracle that it actually took place in Bethlehem. And then the last thought for today is that the birth of Christ continued the royal line of David's descendants. We had mentioned this before, but the, the children of Israel, they knew that all kings were descended from David. And so the Messiah was going to have to be a descendant from David. It comes from Isaiah chapter 11 that says, this is the Old Testament prophecy. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, who is David's father. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Jesus had the the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. And Jesus had to be, the Messiah had to be a descendant of David. Here's the other um, prophecy. There's actually several of them that say this. But in Jeremiah chapter 23, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So both David and Mary were descended from King David. And if you've ever read your New Testament, you probably remember Matthew chapter 1 that starts off with this long genealogy. And if you're like me, you just usually just skip that, right? You just kind of, okay, 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 let's go to the next. Um, But the reason that's there is because it was super important that the Messiah, that Jesus was born of David, that he was a descendant from David. So they took the time and they listed out that genealogy all the way down to Joseph. Now, Joseph, if you trace that genealogy, genealogy back, goes through Solomon Who is the son of David to David? All right, it's through his son Solomon. But then there's another genealogy listed in Luke chapter three. Yeah, Luke chapter three. And this one is actually just a little bit different. Um, If you trace that back, you'll see that that genealogy goes up through David's son Nathan, who is the younger brother of Solomon. And so you're like, why do we have these two genealogies? Well, most. Biblical scholars believe that the Luke genealogy is actually Mary's genealogy. It's attributed to Joseph, but most biblical scholars believe that that's just simply because Joseph was the head of the household, Um, and so they didn't mention her name, they mentioned Joseph, but that that's actually her descendants as well, going up to King David, but through a different son, through a different son. Now, both of them went to their, the hometown of David to Bethlehem to register. So that also implies that they were both descendants of David as well. It wasn't just Joseph that went there and Mary went to another town. They both went to the same town. And so that would imply that they were both descended from David. Now, why is that important? Well, because Joseph was not Jesus's biological father right? And so if you look at and say, well, Jesus had to be descended from David, if you only looked at Joseph's line, you could argue that, that Jesus wasn't descended from Joseph because Joseph adopted Jesus, right? He was his adopted father. So having Mary's ancestry listed was super important because it had to show because she was Jesus' biological parent. And everybody knew that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of King David. And he was. He was. Jesus had royal blood. Both earthly royal blood and then spiritual royal blood from God Almighty. So Jesus is a king. But he wasn't born like a king. He was born in a barn. We're going to talk more about that next week. He didn't live like a king. Jesus didn't live in a palace. In fact, he said he didn't even have a house. He was a wanderer. And Jesus didn't die like a king. He died like a criminal. Between two criminals. But one day, Jesus will return as a king. And he will rule and reign forever, just like the prophecies say. So the birth of Christ ended 400 years of silence. It fulfilled the prophecy of the virgin, took place 90 miles from home, and continued the royal line of David's descendants. Next week, we're going to continue the Christmas story and talk about the three wise men. Who are they? What do they have to do with the story Were there any prophecies surrounding them? And we're going to dive deep into that. And so I'm excited about that. Hopefully you guys will come back next week. But to close, we're going to sing a song, a Christmas song that we all know called Little Town of Bethlehem. And then Matt will uh, finish up our time of prayer. Let's all stand.